A brief note before we start. As you know, I record these podcasts months in advance, so sometimes a guest will reference something that by the time you hear it is in the past. But I leave it in there because it's relevant to what they're saying at the time. And honestly, these podcasts are so evergreen that whether an event is past or coming up in the future or whatever, uh, it doesn't really affect how the story goes. So having said that, welcome in once again, Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. And before we get to episode number 99, let me tell you a little bit about episode number 100 coming up next week. We're going to be interviewing the four that helped me start it all. And at the end of this interview, I have some more details for you about what you can expect next week. But let's talk about what you can expect this week. Elizabeth Hill is a lawyer that has argued in front of the Texas Supreme Court. And also, she's an entrepreneur that owns her own law practice and winery. She tells us how to become more effective in communication and, as a bonus, gives us an insight into wine. Episode number 99 starts now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Litnikoff, and I am with Elizabeth Hill right now. Now, it's a good thing that I'm a swimmer because I need all the breath possible to talk about her bio. And as you know, I briefly go over the guest bio. She is an attorney. She went back to law school in her 30s. She's going to talk about that. She's also a business owner, Berkeley Hill vineyards in lubbock texas and we're going to hear all about wine of course and then if that's not enough she's got four children (laughs) elizabeth sleep i bet for you is at a premium right oh jeff it really is but you know it's all a lot of fun so it's worth it so at any rate welcome to the podcast thank you for being here Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. It's great to have you. And so I did a brief of your bio, but maybe in your words, you could give the audience a uh, picture of uh, who you are and what brought you to the point that you're at now in your career. Well, sure. Well, I am primarily an attorney. That is my full-time job. But uh, about 10 years ago, I married a wine grape grower. And I love wine. Of course, when we met, I didn't know much about it. And I've learned a lot over the last many years. And through that, we have since also opened a winery in the last few years. We're about to open our second location. So I kind of have a dual career, but um, it really, really helps to know the law in the winery business because it's very much a regulated area and industry. Okay, so what got you into the law? Because I know that you mentioned in your bio that you went back to law school in your 30s. So what were you doing before that and what spurred you to then become an attorney? Yes, I have probably a little bit too much school, although I love learning and I love being a student. Prior to going to law school, I was actually a counselor. I had my master's in counseling 
and I worked at a local counseling center, and I really enjoyed that. But I kind of came to a point in life where I ended up as a single mom and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And at the time, I reflected on my interest in the law. I had worked at a law office in college, and I'd always kind of kept that out there as a possibility for myself. And I decided to go for it. I'd been inspired by some other attorneys that I'd met and Luckily, Texas Tech, which is in Lubbock, Texas, um, was very supportive, and they have found, as I now know, that non-traditional students do very well in law school. And so after meeting with them, I decided to go for it. So what was your experience like returning to school at that stage? And as you said, you were a single mom, so you were balancing a lot of stuff. So what was the experience like of going to school? How were you able to balance the workload, and how were you able to then become as successful as you are because, boy, if if folks read your bio, you've done a lot. You've argued in front of the Texas Supreme Court. You're an advocate for women and you are an effective speaker. You do a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, you had to start from somewhere. And, you know, that first day of law school was that somewhere. So maybe tell me about the experience there and how you were able to get through all of that. Well, you know, looking back on it now, I do remember just how nervous I was walking in there. I was older than most of the students, but I was still within the range that, you know, whenever other students saw me, they might not necessarily know instantly, oh, hey, you're an old mom coming back to law school. But what I found is there were several other non-traditional students like me, and that was wonderful. The law school that I went to did a good job of making sure that we could work our schedules around dropping kiddos off in the morning and picking them up possibly later in the afternoon. And so the way I approached it is just to treat it like a job. So I tried very hard to get my work done during the day as much as I could. In between classes, I would read and study and And oftentimes I did have to do a little more reading and studying at night after I put the kids to bed. But it was something that I found so interesting. I had a drive to be there and to do it, but it was intimidating. And I remember Googling a lot of terms that I had no idea what they meant. And I think it's okay for people to know that when you're going to something like law school, you're not expected to know all of those crazy terms and the Latin language that comes with the law. And so I just kind of gave myself permission to learn all of that and to kind of be in the dark at first and be okay with it. So you came from a very successful career. As you said, you had your master's in counseling and you were going along that track and then you changed tracks. And as you just stated, you went to a point where you were really kind of lost in a way. And I I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that, like you said, you had to Google a lot of things. You weren't sure exactly what you had going on. Uh, It was new. We'd all be in that position. But what kind of mindset did you have to adopt and to be able to do all that? Because it's it's like you, you hit one pinnacle in your career, you're successful, and then you're going along, and then all of a sudden you're almost back at square one. So how did you set your mind to say, you know what, I am going to make a success of this even though I'm starting over again? Well, mindset is something that I I think – 
being a counselor has helped me know how important mindset is. And so mindset is something that I've tried to really work on throughout my life. And I do think that if if counseling did anything for me, it was to help me um, prepare myself for difficult times and difficult circumstances. And so I really had the mindset of kind of that growth mindset where you can do anything if you study hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can do this. It just takes a high level of commitment. And that's the attitude that I had with it. And, you know, it law school is kind of one of those situations where that type of mindset does work pretty well because it does require a great deal of hard work and dedication. And, you know, I don't, I think that I am a very competitive person just by nature. And so there is a drive um, that's spurred on by that competitiveness, but also just the competition of bettering yourself and not necessarily trying to better someone else, but to become the best you that is possible. I have to make an admission to you that Texas wine is not something I had ever thought of before. You hear of California wines. Now, I live in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania wine is pretty decent, as you probably well know. But Texas wine, you state in your bio, one of your suggested questions to me, that Texas wine is poised to be the next big thing in the wine industry. Why do you say that? Well, so a couple of things. Number one, Texas wine is growing at a very fast rate. Right now, we are, I believe, the fifth largest producer of wine. But I believe that we're actually the third largest in consuming wine in the nation. And so that combination really uh, creates an atmosphere of introducing wine to lots of new people that have never tried wine before. I should say wine is new to those people. But what's really exciting is Texas is really showing that we can produce incredibly good wines. We just got a gold medal at the San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition, which is the largest competition of American wines. And we had actually gotten a double gold a couple of years ago in a best of class at that same competition. So it's really exciting to see that Texas wine can compete with the best of the best in California or any of the other states that have been doing it a little bit longer than us. Well, congratulations on your wins there. That's really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's talk about wine itself. And this is more of kind of a fun question to pivot to, but I think that a lot of people in our audience love wine and they'd probably be curious as to what maybe they don't know about wine. So maybe from your personal standpoint coming in, as you said, you didn't know much about wine until you kind of got into the industry. What don't we as consumers know about wine that you would like us to know? Well, I guess I hear from a lot of people that don't drink wine that they say things like, well, I'm just kind of a beer drinker or I'm a whiskey drinker or I like other alcohol. And the neat thing about wine is there are so many different profiles and flavors and types of wine that really there is a wine for everyone. Beer drinkers may really enjoy a very nice dry white wine like a Pinot Grigio or a Sauvignon Blanc or some of the others that can favor that type of profile. And maybe a whiskey drinker wants something a little bit more bold and dry, like a nice 
Cab or Malbec. And so the neat thing about wine is there really is just so many options. And even the sweet wine drinkers, we don't discourage that because to be honest, that's how I started drinking wine. I, I don't typically drink sweet wine anymore. But that's how I got started. And so that's totally fine with us because we just want people to try and appreciate wine. Well, you've spoken on a lot of women's issues in the law and in business, and you yourself are a very effective speaker. So I would like to have you address the audience right now because we have a lot of entrepreneurs, businesswomen in the audience, I should say women that are are in business and corporations and whatnot. And what would you like to say to them about being able to be a better speaker, a better communicator, and all of that good stuff? Because that really can be a key to your career, especially as I think sometimes with social media and whatnot, communication is starting to become a bit of a lost art. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I, I just love your commentary and all that. Well, thank you. You know, I learned a lot about speaking when I was in law school, and I had spoken before then, but I was on um, what was considered a moot court team, and we had a really good coach, so we did very well, but I practiced a lot. And I the thing about moot court is it is supposed to be a mock argument in front of an appellate court. You mentioned I'd argued at the Texas Supreme Court. That's an area of my practice that I really enjoy focusing on, but it's supposed to be a conversation with the judges. And I practiced so much and I actually recorded and videoed myself so that I could see what I was doing. I had this really funny mannerism where I just kind of like nodded my head back and forth. I kind of shook my head a little bit. And it's funny how we have those mannerisms that we don't know unless we're really willing to take a look at ourselves as a speaker to see what we're doing and to see what could be distracting or what might take away from the message that you're trying to share. And so I I did that. And that's a hard thing to do. It's really tough to watch yourself. It's even tough. Like, I'm sure you're, you're used to it now, but it's tough sometimes to hear your own voice. And so I found that I improved as a speaker by really being willing to look at myself and video and to practice and to just refine the skill. I think you're absolutely right about that, that uh, at, at first I was a little kind of timid about my own voice and now I'm totally used to it but this is not obviously a video podcast so I think that I would have that same trepidation as I got into video until as you said you get used to it so how long would you say it took you to get used to it how much practice did you have to do before you started to maybe feel a mastery of all that Well, I think there were varying degrees of filling the mastery. I did some competitions at my own law school, and I don't think I quite felt comfortable yet at that stage. But when I got on some of the competition teams, we would have three to four practices a week. And I found that once I was practicing that much, I would get to a certain comfort level where I knew we each had 20 minutes to argue, for example, and I knew that I would have no trouble talking and having a conversation for 20 minutes. That's when I really felt comfortable. And so, for example, I'm going to do a speech in March and I've already started practicing because I feel like 
preparation is the best way to feel comfortable and to reduce your nerves. And so just lots of practice, I would say. It's hard to say exactly how much, but those times that I was practicing three to four times a week, after a couple of weeks, I was feeling really pretty good. One thing I've noticed in this podcast is is that you are really good at getting to the point. And I would imagine there's been a lot of practice in getting to that point, no pun intended. And so tell me, is that something that you consciously do? Do you edit yourself in your head as you are speaking? And is that maybe something that came out of the courtroom and having to make your point in a uh, short time frame? Again, it's really a practice and evaluating yourself. I have a very distinct memory of being in a practice and my coach, Rob Sherwin, who is one of the best coaches in the nation, he has some of the most winning teams. I remember a practice where I was not getting to the point and I remember him saying, yes or no, no or yes, Elizabeth, answer the question. And that sticks in my mind every time that I'm asked a question, whether it be in a court or on the phone or on a podcast. It it was something that really stuck with me and really helped me to remember to get to the point and to answer the question. So let's just explore that real quick because that's really interesting. So when you would be speaking and he would kind of interrupt you right in the middle and you'd say, yes or no, it is no or yes and all that stuff that you just said and basically if he thought you were getting off track he would kind of stop you is that correct yes and really it was kind of the mock argument um setting where a judge might interrupt a person giving their argument and say now that wasn't my question what my question is and so yes there was a lot of that going on (laughs) well i think that would be very helpful for a lot of folks in this audience something i haven't heard of before but it does if you do tend to and again i've had this before where I've rambled and maybe I haven't gotten to the point quickly enough or not made the correct point kind of got off track so I think that that's something helpful it's going to be helpful for me and I know for folks in our audience as well so let's get to the point of the last few questions here that's a good segue right and uh, resources of course we're going to have links to your winery and all that other good stuff. But what are some other resources you'd like to share with the folks listening? What are some things that inspire you that you think might inspire our listeners? Hmm, That's a really great question. One of the things that I really enjoy is finding groups that, you know, really encourage women entrepreneurs. I love creating community over competition. And that's kind of my mantra in my business. I I have lots of other companies that we will get together. And, you know, with wine, it's so easy to put together an event. And so far as resources go, there are some really great different organizations that women can get involved in. I have actually helped start a women's empowerment group locally in Lubbock, Texas. And that's where we're going to have an event in March. And So I, you know, I think I would encourage people to start their own local groups like that. I think it would be something that is really special and something that they would really enjoy. Well, final question, and this is where I love to give the floor back to the guest, or I should say give you the floor as I pass the mic on to you. So Elizabeth Hill, boy, there's a lot of different directions that you could go because of all of your vast amounts of experience. So I'm very curious to hear how you are going to close out this podcast. The mic is yours to talk to the audience about anything that you would like to talk about. 
Well, I'll just expand on that community over competition. At Berkeley Hill, um, our winery, we have met the most incredible people simply by reaching out and encouraging a community. Local business is something that's important to us, and it's something that is really special. There's something about buying a gift or buying a product that was made locally and I encourage wherever you are, whether you be in Texas or Oregon or Pennsylvania or any place that you really reach out, um, support your local businesses and don't be afraid to try new things like Texas wine. I know there are some of your listeners right now thinking, what in the world? Why would I try Texas wine? You know, we have an incredible climate here and the soil and everything down to the elevation and the wind produces excellent Texas wine. And so I think it's neat to have an attitude of trying new things and also supporting those in your community. Well, one final question. Can Berkeley Hill ship to other areas of the country? We can. We are still working on adding all of the states that you can ship to. Unfortunately, there are still about four or five states that have not allowed anyone to ship in. But we can ship to New Mexico, California, Florida. I believe we're getting into Virginia and D.C., and Minnesota. And so we are working very hard to get all of those other states added that can be added. It's just a process and takes some time. You may know an attorney that can help you with all that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, Elizabeth Hill of, well, I, you know, I should say, I shouldn't just say of Berkeley Hill Vineyards because you're also an attorney and an entrepreneur. And boy, you do a lot. And we're, of course, going to have a link to Berkeley Hill Vineyards on the site. So, You can check if you're curious about that Texas wine. You should order from Berkeley Hill and uh, see if your state is available. And since we're going to have a link to your website, uh, as you add states, people will be able to pick up on it. But Elizabeth Hill, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I really enjoyed this. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, we have the four guests that started it all. Episode number 100 features the four leaders that helped me create and sustain this podcast. And to this day, they still have a lot of influence with this podcast. And I'm so excited for you to hear their stories. At one point, they, of course, were guests. So we have Linda Stevenson, who was guest number one. Bofta Mom, who was guest number two. Dr. Tammy K. Kassa, guest number three. And featured on podcast 25 and 75 was Andrea Connor. You're going to hear from all four of them as we talk about how this podcast came to be and how it is still vital to this day that we have their influence and again i am so excited to bring you episode number 100 i thank you for hanging with me for the last 99 and i know you're going to enjoy number 100 and that's of course coming up next week thank you again for listening